we're actually in week one. I was going to say week two, but we're not. We're actually starting a new Advent series. If I've not met you, welcome to New Life. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're starting a series this week. It's going to go for four weeks. It's going to be our Advent series. It's leading into Christmas. And we're going to look at four different themes. And you'll actually see them on the walls and behind me. They're going to be looking at love, joy, peace, and hope. You know what? I actually need all of these in my life. And love, joy, peace, and hope is what actually Jesus brings to us through his death, burial, and resurrection. He brings that to every Christian. And today we're going to be exploring peace. But the first question we need to ask is, what is Advent? Well, Advent is when at the Christmas time we celebrate the coming of the Messiah, the coming of God in the flesh, the birth of Jesus Christ. And the word Advent itself actually means arrival or appearing or, or coming into place. So Christians often speak of Christ's first Advent and his second Advent. That's his first and second comings to earth. So the first Advent would be the incarnation, God in flesh that we celebrate at Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. And the second Advent is when he returns. And we read that in the book of Revelation where Jesus actually comes back. And he sets things all straight. He restores all things. And, and we look forward to that. And one of the most common Advent traditions involves the use of evergreen wreaths and trees. So at Advent churches and homes, they're actually decorated in green to symbolize eternal life that Jesus brings. When you see a tree that's, that's vibrant and green, you, you see life in it, right? And that's why you'll see that we decorate with trees and wreaths. You'll see them around here, but also in people's homes. So at Advent, the celebration is both the commemoration of Christ's first coming and the anticipation of his second coming. And just as Israel longed for their Messiah to come, Christians longed for their Messiah to come again. And Israel's longing for the Messiah comes from lots of places in the Old Testament. There were so many prophecies about the coming Messiah, but one of them is in Isaiah 6, uh, 9, 6. This is written 700 years before Jesus was born. So the Israelites, the Hebrew people, they were waiting for their Messiah for 700 years. And verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his governance and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom and establish it and uphold it in justice, in justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. For the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This prophesies of the advent, the coming of the Messiah in a child, in a little vulnerable baby. And this Messiah, he will rule forever and ever. Jesus is the awaited Messiah for the Israelites, for the Hebrew people, and he is our Lord and King. And it says that he is the Prince of Peace. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So will you join me in prayer before we get into this message? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for this prophecy. The 700 years before you came, you were giving hope and peace to the people, telling them that, that you were coming that you were going to be born as a vulnerable baby, that you were going to show us, Jesus, the character and nature of the Father in and through your life and your death. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach this word today with grace and truth 
and with love. Lord, in the end, they wouldn't look to me. They'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember back when it's probably, gosh, it would have been 12 years now. Oh, no, probably less, about 10 years now, that I was working on the wharves up in Brisbane. And they were automating the process of the wharves. So we had about 300 guys working there, and I would drive the cranes that would unload the big containers off the ship. So those big cranes you see, I'd drive them, and I'd get the container off, and I'd put it on a truck. And one of our guys would drive that truck around to what they call an RTG, which is a smaller crane in the yard. That smaller crane would pick it up and just stack it. Have you ever seen those stacks of boxes and boxes? That's how we would discharge the ship, and then we'd load it the same way. But they wanted to automate that process, so they wanted to put in automatic stacking cranes in the yard. So they were going to make half of our workforce redundant. And you could imagine there's guys been working there for 30, 40 years, and they had this, this fear in them that, that I'm going to get made redundant. What am I going to do? It was a great job. You got 16 weeks off a year. It was really high paid. No one wanted to leave. And what that caused was, it caused this, this anger, this frustration, this fear, this anxiety, this lack of hope and, and desperation. It was even caused a, a breakdown in relationships because there was now competition of who was going to keep the job over the other person. And it didn't bother me. It was really weird. One of the guys said to me one day at the smoker table, why don't you care? Why doesn't this bother you? Why are you not freaking out? And I was like, well, I trust my God. Like before I would have freaked out. Before I was a Christian, I would have been, what do I do? But I had this weird sense of peace. And I said, because I know my God loves me. I know that he'll look after me no matter where I am or what I'm doing. I just know he's got me. So I just kind of trust him. I had this weird sense that no matter what happened, God was with me, had it for me. It was this supernatural peace in God. Have you ever felt a supernatural peace, even though everything around you is just absolute chaos? This is what we're going to talk about today, a supernatural peace. Not peace in the common understanding. The common understanding of peace is like peace between two countries or two people, where they're just not fighting each other. They don't love one another. They don't interact with one another. They're just at peace, meaning they're not at war or conflict. So this definition could be put over... It could apply to countries, it could apply to people or individuals or companies. You could apply it in lots of different ways. But today I want to talk about a much deeper understanding of peace. I want to talk about a biblical understanding of peace, a peace that transforms the center of our very being, that can actually be the foundation on which we stand in the face of chaos and fear and anxiety and all that life throws at us. This peace I'm talking about is shalom. In the Old Testament, shalom is a Hebrew word usually translated into peace in English. And shalom doesn't mean just a simple peace. Shalom means prosperity, harmony within and without, a completeness, a wholeness, health, safety, soundness, tranquility, a sense of fullness and rest, the absence of agitation or discord, a state of calm without anxiety or stress. Shalom, translated as peace, is perhaps one of the most widely known words in the Hebrew language. They, they say it as a greeting to each other. And in the Holman Treasury of key Bible words, we find this explanation. Shalom is best translated as peace. This peace is more than mere absence of war or strife. 
It describes a peace that is positive, a time, a place, a condition that features love, righteousness, calmness, political and moral uprightness, and much more. And this is a word reserved for those who walk with God in a positive relationship. Shalom, peace, harmony, within and without, absent of stress or fear or anxiety, completeness and wholeness. Who wants some of that in their life? I know I, know I do. So then the question is, how do we experience such a peace in the world that we live in, in a world full of pain and suffering? Well, let's look at the story that involves Jesus and his disciples in Mark chapter 4. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, which is the rear, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this? Who is this guy? You know, I remember one night I was asleep and I heard a noise. Has anyone been asleep, heard a noise and it comes into their dreams? And they're like, I actually hear that and I, and I don't know what's going on. Well, there was one night where I was asleep and there was this smash of glass. And in my sleep, I recognized it. And I was like, what the heck is that? Is someone trying to break into the house? So as I opened my eyes, I was literally already out of bed. My body had reacted and jumped up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm out of bed. And I'm running out the door. And then I'm just running to all the windows. I'm looking, see if anyone's in the house. I check every window. I'm like, there's no windows broken. What is going on? I go into the bathroom and one of the light fittings had just fallen and smashed on the ground. I was like... Thank goodness my heart was racing like you wouldn't believe. thought there's someone who tried to break in and steal one of my kids. And I go back to my room and my wife's just sound asleep. Didn't wake up, didn't bother her. In the morning I'm like, hey, did you, like that happened last night? She goes, I had no idea. And I'm like, how could you sleep through that? Such a scary noise as if someone's breaking into the house. I still can't fathom it to this day. I still can't work it out. And this is what the disciples are thinking. They're thinking, how is Jesus sleeping through this. We are literally about to die. And just think about this too. This mustn't have been a little storm because a lot of the disciples, they were fishermen. Now, if fishermen are freaking out, then you're in a lot of trouble. If people who would spend their life on a boat and they're freaking out, this is not good. And so they wake Jesus up and they're like, we're about to die. Do you not care? Do you not care what's happening to us? thing is, we've seen him heal and do amazing signs and wonders, and you're doing nothing right now. So Jesus gets up, and he commands the wind and the waves to be still, and it happens. Then he actually turns to his disciples, and he says, wow, that was close. Lucky you woke me up. No, he doesn't say that. He actually turns to them and rebukes them for their lack of faith. Why? Because he wants to teach them a lesson. You know, there's two ways to live in life. One is without shalom, and one is with shalom. 
You see, without shalom, you are tossed to and fro and unsettled by every wave that comes. But with shalom, you're actually in the same storm, but you have a deep peace that regardless of what's going on around you, you know who you are, you know who you are, you know who's with you, and nothing in this world can ultimately defeat you. You see, in the storm, Jesus had a state of shalom, a state of calm, without anxiety or stress, an inner harmony and peace. But the disciples didn't have shalom. They were freaking out, right? They're afraid and anxious and desperate. And the storm had fully overcome them mentally. Like all they could see is their imminent death. And all they could see was the wind and the waves. Have you ever faced a situation where you just can't stop thinking about it? Have you been so overcome by a situation in your life that you can't sleep, that you can't work, that no matter what you do, it just keeps coming and it's all that you can think about. And that lack of peace, it robs you from all the good things in life. You can't see them because of the issue you're facing. It steals away your happiness and your joy and your hope. I think we've all experienced that at some stage. So what are some of the things that actually cause us to lose peace in our lives? We have situations, don't we, that come like work, like finances, like our health. We have relationships that are broken, that are broken down, where we're not in good relationship with others. Sometimes our sin causes us to lose peace, causes us to feel like there's no way out. We feel separated from God. Sometimes it's because of our identity. We don't know who we are. Who am I in this world? What is my purpose? I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. All these things can rob us of peace and produce fear and anxiety that can actually distract us from the truth. Thomas Merton says, we are not at peace with others because we're not at peace with ourselves. And we're not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. You know, a lot of the time it's because we're not at peace with others We're not at peace with God because we're actually not at peace with ourselves. We don't even love ourselves. But then we have the other side of the coin. We have Jesus in the storm. He's experiencing the same storm, but he has such shalom, such inner peace that he could sleep through it. Why? Because Jesus has no sin. He knows who he is. He knows his purpose in life. He knows his mission. He knows that he's loved. He's in perfect relationship with the Father. And Jesus knows that not even death can actually hold him. Jesus had this peace that all external forces or situations had no impact on him at all, even the possibility of death. It's almost like he's under the waves. You ever gone scuba diving? I've gone scuba diving over in Fiji. It was a beautiful experience. We got this boat and we just took off and you couldn't see land and I'm like, are we going to jump out here? It was just like in the middle of the ocean. But there was this reef there, and you could go down the side of the reef. But it's so interesting. No matter how wavy and windy it is on the surface, the moment you get under, it's just tranquil. It's like another world down there. It's silent, apart from the bubbles and me freaking out when I was down there. But there's a difference between being on the surface, being pushed around by the waves and being underneath and being in tranquility. See, both Jesus and the disciples are in the same ocean. But Jesus had a deep soul peace, like he was under the waves. But the disciples are on the surface, and they're getting affected by the wind and the waves. Where do you feel like you live? 
because we're all in the same ocean. We all experience pain and suffering, highs and lows, love and hate, close and fractured relationships. But do you feel like you're under the waves? Or do you feel like you're on top of the waves, just getting absolutely battered? So to prove to the disciples that they could just trust God and trust him in all situations, even in the face of imminent death, Jesus commands peace, be still, and instantly the ocean becomes calm. And I love their reaction in verse 41. It says, they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They were terrified because they were standing in the presence of holiness and righteousness and someone who even had command, had control over creation, which caused them to think, who is this man? Well, he's God. And you might be in a storm right now. You might think that God's asleep and he doesn't care about your situation, but he does know and he does care. And you might feel like you're in a storm that will destroy you, but it can't because you're with Jesus. And that knowledge that Jesus is with us in every situation, it actually brings shalom, even in the face of death. When I worked two years in aged care chaplaincy and palliative care and dementia care, I saw a lot of people pass away probably over 150 people. And I would meet with them, I would meet with their families, and I can tell you there is a huge difference between someone who has shalom, who has Christ in their life, and someone who doesn't. When I would speak to Christians, there would be this anticipation, this hope, this peace in them that they would be saying, you know what, I actually want to go and see him. I've had a blessed and beautiful life. I can't wait to see my, my saviour face to face. There was this crazy peace over them. But then there were others that didn't know Christ and there was just fear and anxiety and, and hopelessness because it was going to be cut off. It was the end. I saw, I saw and experienced people who have shalom and people who don't have shalom. And Jesus asked his disciples, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do we know that when we have faith that actually produces peace in our heart? And you might say, well, that's probably a fair question from Jesus because the disciples had Jesus right there with them, right? Like he was in the boat with them. But Jesus asks us the same question today. Why are we so afraid? Do we not trust Jesus? Do we not trust the promise of God that we find in his word in the Bible? Why do we fear the world? Where is our shalom? And you might say, well, Scott, it's not the same. We don't have Jesus with us. He's not standing right here. Well, let's look then at the early church and what Paul and the apostles wrote about after Jesus ascended back into heaven because they didn't have him standing there either. Because Christians from the time of the early church until now have struggled with this inner peace. You see, inner peace was a big thing for the early church because they were persecuted and killed for their faith, many of them. Not only did they experience all the things that we experience today, like pain and suffering, they were also murdered and ostracized and hated for being Christians. And therefore, it was easy for them to have no peace, right? To live in constant fear and anxiety and feel like God was not with them. But the Apostle Paul knew a deep peace that only comes from God. And he teaches the church at Galatia where the unrest comes from and where the peace comes from. In Galatians 5, he says, this is where the unrest comes from. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, 
hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, let me give you a list of things that will actually rob you of inner peace because they'll cause all kinds of suffering, all kinds of breakdown relationship with each other and with God. We all know that feeling, right? When we have personal sin in our life and it feels like it cuts us off from God. We too feel like we're too guilty or we have too much shame that we can actually come before God and even pray or even enter into his presence or even come to church. We have all experienced the, the effects of sin. We all know that feeling. And we all lose our inner peace in those moments, don't we? And there's a reason for that. Because we're actually created in the image of God. We're created and we're meant to love one another and serve one another. And when we don't do that, when we sin and hurt people, we're not living in our created purpose. And this causes us to suffer and not feel at peace in our inner being. Paul is like, here's a list that can rob you of peace. But now let me give you a list that brings supernatural peace, that can endure anything that the world throws at you. He says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the one we all love, self-control. You see, peace and shalom, a feeling of completeness, comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit or a byproduct of living in the love of God. You might say, well, we don't have Jesus with us. No, we have Jesus in us. We have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, living in and through us. And we feel a deep shalom when we're living in our created purpose, when we're loving people, when we're being kind and we're being goodness, when we're being faithful, when we're exercising self-control. Let me ask a question. Have you ever felt you lacked peace when you act in love? No. And that should tell you something. This actually reveals a deep truth that our soul knows. So practically, how do we live in this space as Christians? How do we practically live in peace when there's so much pain and suffering and worldly ways that just want to swamp us? Well, in Philippians, Paul's awesome. Paul just gets super practical. And he tells us how to do it practically. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, Rejoice. Rejoice what? In the Lord. And he wants to make a point. He wants to tell us twice. He's like, I'll say it again, just in case you miss that one, because it's a key recipe of how you have inner peace. Rejoice always. Don't be anxious about anything. You see that? About anything. We can get anxious about everything sometimes, right? We can get anxious about what we're going to have for dinner. It's like, I don't know what to choose. There's too many, too many options out there. He says, don't be anxious about anything. This is really powerful. Do we know Paul's life? Paul was scourged twice. That means lashed on his back 40 times. He was stoned nearly to death once. 
He was imprisoned. He had to run from murder. They wanted to kill him twice. He was shipwrecked twice. He was bitten by a snake. Like this guy (laughs) spent so much time in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he's telling us, don't be anxious. Like I know if I was in in that state, I would be pretty anxious. But here's a guy who has gone through all that and he's like, don't be anxious. How do we get through it? We bring it all in prayer to God. Do we understand that prayer brings a supernatural peace upon us? Charles Spurgeon says, Prayer girds human weakness with divine strength, turns human folly into heavenly wisdom, and gives to the troubled mortals the peace of God. We don't know what prayer can do. We don't understand how powerful prayer is. We don't understand how powerful it is to bring our requests, our petitions to God and go, God, this is what I'm facing right now. I need your help. You see, prayer is like turning to Jesus in the boat and saying, Lord, look, look at my situation. And then you look deeper in his eyes and he says to your soul, peace, be still. It's okay, I'm here. I'm with you. And no matter how this turns out, I'll be by your side. I'll carry you through it. And to know that the God of the universe loves me and is with me through all of these situations gives me shalom that I can't express. We're actually promised a peace that transcends all understanding. Here's the funny thing. I'm actually trying to explain something to you today that's unexplainable. When I sat down to write this message, I knew that it's impossible to fully explain shalom that Christians experience. I'm trying to explain the unexplainable. It's like trying to explain the exhilaration of a roller coaster or watching watching the the birth of a child or the beauty of a sunset to someone. There's no words to express that deep connection and emotion and feeling. It's something you have to experience to fully understand. And that's what God offers to us only through Christ. And Paul knows that by saying, I can't explain it fully. I can't explain it enough. For us mere humans... He actually needs to continue with practical tips to help us, so he does. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Practical tips. And the God of peace will be with you. Really good practical tip. He's saying, focus on the good. Don't focus on the storm. If they're in the boat, they should have been focusing on Jesus and going, it's okay, we're with God. He's with us. He's going to do something. They were just focused on the storm. And that's what we do when we're in these moments. We just focus on all the bad stuff. And Paul's saying, hey, focus on what is good, what is lovely, what's admirable. Put it into practice. What you've seen in me. I've gone through so much stuff. But this is what I do, and it works for me. He says, bring it to God. Rejoice and bring it in prayer with thanksgiving. When he says, focus on what is lovely and excellent and praiseworthy, that's God. That's his love that we need to focus on. And when we focus on God, everything gets put in its proper perspective. And the beauty is, Jesus actually makes us a promise in the Gospel of John that we can bank on, a real solid bank on. In John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says, 
peace I live with you. That peace is the Holy Spirit. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he also says, my peace I give you. That peace that I had in the boat, I give that to you. Come on, I'll take that. I'll take that kind of peace from him. He says, the world can't give you that kind of peace. You won't find it in money or wealth or health or fame or influence or comfort. In fact, all these will actually cause you to lose peace. My peace is the only true peace that your soul needs. And my peace will cast out all fear in all situations because nothing can ultimately destroy us, not even death. And he actually gives it to us as a gift. He gifts us with that. Matthew Henry says, When Christ died, he left a will in which he gave his soul to his father, his body to Joseph of Arimathea, who buried him, his clothes to the soldier, his mother to John, but to his disciples, who had left everything to follow him, he left not silver or gold, but something far better, his peace. And then Jesus says to them, right at the end, the next verse 32, he says, a time is coming, and in fact is now come, when, I will be, when you will be scattered, each one to your own home, and you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me, saying, I'm actually going to go to my death right now. I'm going to go and die for each and every one of you, and guess what? You're going to, you're going to run. You're going to scatter away from me. But it's okay. I have a peace. I have the Father with me. I have the Father with me through this ordeal. And he continues, he says, I've told you these things, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's like, I've told you this, that you would have shalom, complete peace in heart, soul, and mind. And yes, you will go through trouble in many forms. Jesus doesn't deny that we won't face trouble or pain or suffering. So I don't want to reduce today what you, got, you might be going through in life right now. I don't want you to feel like I'm dismissing your pain and suffering. It's real, it's hard, and it's painful. But here's what I know to be true. We have God with us. And we can have a supernatural inner peace. Why? Because Jesus says it. Jesus says that I'm not alone, that you are not alone, that he is with us. There's nothing in this world that can rob you of God's love. He says, I'll be with you in all things. I will comfort you. I will strengthen you. I'll redeem you. I'll, I'll save you. I'll receive you into my everlasting kingdom, and I will give you my peace. Glenn, do you want to come up, mate? So the question is, how do we get this peace directly from Jesus? How do I get that in my life? Well, it's through the cross. It's through faith. Only God's people get his shalom, this complete peace. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, which we now stand. This supernatural shalom comes by standing on the firm foundation that Christ's crucified and risen and ascended back into heaven. That we lost our peace in the garden that we were separated from the one who brings peace, who brings shalom, who brings love, joy, hope. And God said, you know what? I'm not going to leave him there. I love them too much. I'm going to come, Advent. I'm going to come in the flesh, the incarnation of Christ. 
I'm going to come as a little baby. I'm going to grow up sinless. I'm going to teach you the true character and nature of who I am. And I'm going to willingly embrace the cross with the joy that was set before me. That joy was you and me. He embraced the cross because he wanted to have relationship with you. He wanted to install his peace on you. He wanted to give you shalom. And anyone who puts their faith and trust in Christ, who repents of their sin, receives eternal life and a peace that starts today. C.S. Lewis said, God can, cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. You know what? If you want to get warm, you've got to get near the fire. If you want to get wet, you've got to get into the water. If you want peace and eternal life, you must get close to or immerse yourself into the thing that has them. And that's God. That's Jesus. Beautiful thing is you can have that today. My shalom, my complete peace comes from the knowledge that I'm at peace with God. I know that my sin has been dealt with. And I now have full access to a full loving relationship with the Father and therefore it releases me to live in my created purpose to love others. And I trust that no matter what happens to me in this life, God loves me and is with me in the boat in all the storms I face. Romans 8, 28 says, We know, we know that all things, work, all things God works for good for those who love Him that have been called according to his purpose. All the things we face. But God is working for good in those. Even though we can't see it through the storm and the wind and the waves, God is working. And I believe it. And I trust it. And my sense of deep shalom comes from the fact that it has nothing to do with me. It's all God and all his doing. Jerry Bridges says, The Bible is full of God's promises to provide for us spiritually and materially, to never forsake us to give us peace in times of difficult circumstances, to cause all circumstances to work together for our good and finally to bring us safely home to glory. None of these promises is dependent on my performance or our performance. They're all dependent on the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? We don't get this because we're amazing. We get this because He's amazing. What if we were a people so full of the shalom of God, so full of the peace of Jesus in every situation we face. What if we were people like that? Others would see it. They would want it. And do you know what? We can actually give it to them in the person and the work of Christ. And this is what we celebrate at Advent, the coming, the coming of the Prince of Peace, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we just wait in this moment. We just sit in the silence. God, I pray that your supernatural peace would just come right now over our hearts and over our minds. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe on us. just in this moment, if there's anything that's causing you to have no peace or causing a lack of peace, I just bring it to God.
Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Just bring it to God in prayer. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Bring it to Him now. Come Holy Spirit. In this moment of prayer, you might not have peace with God. Maybe you've never repented and put your faith in Jesus. God wants peace with you. He died for you. If that is you, if you want a relationship with Jesus, if you want peace with God, that you might experience His shalom, I'll just ask if you just put your hand up right now. I'll just wait. Lord, I just thank you so much for the hand that went up, Lord. I pray that you would just bless them with your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit right now, would you just come? Would you fill their heart, their soul, their mind with your truth, with your grace, with your love, but with your peace? They may know right now they're at peace with you. And Lord, for us that have been giving our prayers to you, our situations to you. Lord, I pray that your peace that passes understanding would just flood our hearts, that we would be able to walk into those situations now with love and joy and hope. And Lord, we just thank you that you're the one who brings that. Help us walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you like to stand with me as we worship? This song is a song about that scripture. It's about Jesus saying, peace, be still. And I just pray, why don't we sing that over our circumstances? Why don't we sing that over our families? Why don't we sing about those things that are, that are robbing us of peace? We'd sing this over it, that God would step in and say, peace, be still.